Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Three weeks in the books, and it's time for conference play. I don't know if things are going to get that much clearer for us as we welcome you here on Believe in the Pac-12. Jonathan Rifkin and Andrew Hobner with you. Delighted, as always, here on the Believe Podcast Network. No matter how you're listening to the pod or where you're listening to the pod, all of us here at Believe and uh, the Pac-12 appreciate you making us a part of your podcast listening plans earlier this week. Andrew Hobner and I uh, recapped a week two in the Pac-12 slate of games. Uh, we we sort of expressed our disheartenment or our disdain for um, the overall conference image after last week. Um, but we'll get into how it can perhaps shift and what games um, will be put into the spotlight in this upcoming week of action. But before that, we are back and better than ever. That is betonline.ag. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back to start another football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all pro and college football action this season. With new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website and use your mobile device to sign up today to receive 100% off your welcome Bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. I will be making a three team parlay in this college football season on Bet, all, bet Online. I have Clemson minus 10 over NC State. Parlay that with UCLA minus four and a half over Stanford. Parlay that with MSU Michigan State minus five over at Nebraska. That's a gimme game. Let's go to Bet Online to make sure. Uh, to get that promo or to get that signing up bonus using the code NFL100. Thank you to Bet Online and all of our partners here on the Believe in the Podcast or Believe in Pac 12 on the Believe Podcast Network. Andrew, it's Thursday. How's your week going? How's coverage up in, in the great state of Oregon been uh, before we get to all the action? You know, coverage has been good. It's been a, a pretty interesting week here in the Pac 12. Obviously, we had the big Utah dust up earlier in the week, quarterback situation, Cam Rising, now the starter, Charlie Brewer, not only not the starter, but leaving the program as well, which was a bit of a bombshell for everyone to open things up. You know, Pac-12 plays here. I think that's kind of the biggest thing is we have trudged through a just terrible non-conference slate, and now we get to get to the fun of what the Pac-12 is, which is parlaying the fact that most of your teams are two and one and one and two, and you're just going to use it to beat up on each other when you all really should be like three and zero oh and two and one. Best part of the year, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, man, really inspiring hope into the Pac-12 faithful out here, Mister Andrew Obner. I will tell me. you what, I feel like the tone of this pod might be a little bit more um, upbeat than our last pod, mostly just because at least there's there's hope going into this week because it's Pac-12 on Pac-12 action. So no matter what. Pac-12 team is going to win, right? We'd assume. So at least we could take that into the weekend with. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. You're good. Cool. You hear me? Yeah, all right. Sorry about that. Um, all right. So let's get it going here on uh, – on the upcoming schedule. So things kick off uh, at 1130. So three. <laughs> wow. The the three opening Pac-12 games are on the Pac-12 network. 
That's awful. So Utah, Washington State, Stanford, UCLA, and Washington Cal are all the three opening games in conference. They're all on the Pac-12 network because the ensuing three games for the conference are all competing with each other (laughs) on various networks. That's awful. That is so bad for the Pac-12 from a national image perspective to just have the the three nationally televised games competing against each other in the 730s. Uh, Utah has a new quarterback. You just said not a new quarterback. Well, a reassertion of Cam Rising. Um, who honestly had some big good moments last season. So I'm, I think we're all kind of surprised. Look, Charlie Brewer is a transfer. He came from Baylor, a Power 5 program, who notoriously outputs pretty decent quarterbacks. And so I think that maybe Kyle Whittingham, as we talked about in the last pod, Andrew was uh, was riding his ego a little bit, didn't want to admit that he was wrong. Cam Rising comes back in uh, in a pinch and looks a lot better, wins the job, and now um, Brewer's out. What's the, What's your feel for Utah right now? I mean, I think the biggest thing with Utah is how much are they going to go up tempo with Cam Rising? That was what stood out to me in that San Diego State game was the fact that when they did get down, they're down two scores. They bring in Cam Rising. He's got some mobility to him. They start playing with a little bit of pace, just slightly more. And all of a sudden, the offense kind of started clicking a little bit. The big concern, though, is that this offensive line for Utah is just not very good. Uh, They couldn't get much going in the running game. Charlie Brewer, look, Charlie Brewer didn't do great, and his ability to freelance is probably what sunk him, especially in in this game against San Diego State and last week against BYU. But more often than not, he wasn't getting adequate protection either. So Cam Rising, in that particular situation, he's got some legs in a way Brewer doesn't, and that allows him to be able to, to get out of the pocket when things do break down and make some plays and especially with his feet. So it's one of these things where, yeah, I I think the right move is now being made. I can totally understand why Brewers started and I will be, I'll give Whittingham a pass for this in a way that I wouldn't give Jonathan Smith or David Shaw a pass for not knowing who their guy was going to be in week one, because all signs pointed to Charlie Brewer being the guy. You know, the reports out of camp was that it was pretty much a dead heap between the two. But then you watch spring ball. He goes 15 of 15. He's over 100 yards and a touchdown. Looks really impressive in every sample size he'd been given. Looked pretty good at Baylor. And, you know, I think after a certain point with a guy like that, injuries catch up, you know, body breaks down. He took a lot of hits over his career at Baylor and then took a lot more shots in two weeks uh, between BYU and San Diego State at Utah. So, Cam Rising, I think, is going to be the guy going forward for them. Jaquindon Jackson is going to be their backup. I like this matchup for Utah just because I really don't think much of Washington State anymore. I think we're about to see the real nadir of of the Nick Rolovich era. I think it's going to get worse from what we saw last week. And with that said, Utah, this feels like it's got to be bounce back time, gut check time, bounce back game especially considering that this is going to be a game that is at Rice-Eccles Stadium. So they're finally getting home. They're not going to be at Lavelle Edwards. They're not going to be at a soccer park in LA. There's finally going to be the ability to have fans again. And, you know, we talked about prove-it games earlier this week. This is a prove-it game for this team this year. And if you want the fans at Rice-Eccles to be back and be consistent, then you have to win this game. And I think Utah is in a really good place to do so. Do you want to know something surprising, Hob? Is that always this game is more expensive per ticket than any other Pac-12 game, which is yeah. sh- is uh, maybe that's the Salt Lake market, 
that's shocking to me. That Dude, they Arizona have the State, best. Colorado's cheaper. They have the best fan base in the Pac-12. And for football, they have the best fan base in the Pac-12, and it's not close. They consistently sell out Rice Eccles, even with this yep. new expansion. They consistently sell it out. They are loud. It's a hard atmosphere to play. I was there in 2019 when Oregon went to go play Utah up in Salt Lake. That is an intimidating environment. We talk about Colorado being at altitude. Utah is at altitude. Like It's bone chilly past October there in that stadium. And they are a really, really good fan base. They are a Mountain West Big 12 type fan base. And I hate to turn it into one of these things where it's based on the geography and some of the socio-political components of fandom, but Big 12 Mountain West fan bases when their teams are good are usually better ones than Pac-12 fan bases. And so Utah has some of that carryover, and that's why they are easily, I think, top for football. Because even win or lose, they're still going to come out. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost past the like the Pac-12 fan bases conversation, like in terms of like hurt feelings by it, right? When people used to call out the fan bases in the conference, I used to get defensive. But the truth is, is that they're right. When you go take a national tour of, of big programs, the small markets, and you see how they're treated by their fans, it's completely different. It's a different world. And, and Utah sort of is at the, uh, the, the parallel. Yeah, for sure. I think the, the biggest thing with them is this whole idea of getting that stadium Full and making sure that their stadium fan, or their fan base rather stays engaged throughout the right. year. And they do that in a way that I think a lot of other fan bases don't. So Utah takes on Washington state. I think we're both comfortable in picking Utah in this one. Um, you know, talk about other transfer quarterbacks in the conference who, who are having a tough time. Gorantano over at Washington state from Tennessee is another one who um, is really looking at the back end of that quarterback uh, depth chart right now. He wasn't even, I mean, what the, the like walk on played over him last week. So well, um, he, he got hurt in week one too. And oh, like he they say he might be back. They say he might be back for this, but that offense, it's so weird because Jaden Delora is the he only person that makes that offense go. If yep. they don't have him in the game, they don't do anything. And I understand that's a kid who's grown up in the run and shoot his whole life, but this offense should not be so tricky that these guys literally can't run it. So if there is no Delora in this game or he's limited in any capacity, Utah is going to blow them out. They're not a very good defensive unit. And if Cam Rising has any proficiency with passing the ball, which he showed in spurts last week against the San Diego State defense, that is a very good defense, mind you. They are going to absolutely steamroll this Washington State team. You know, there is an issue at hand with Wazoo now where they just don't, they have the roster. They just don't seem like they have the scheme. They don't look like they get put in places to succeed and mentally they don't seem there as a team. And that's something that starts from the top down because yep. Nick Rolovich in what is it? Seven games, eight games as the head coach at Washington state, two and five, two and six. And guess what? He has blown three massive leads in PAC 12 play. Now one was to Oregon. One was to Utah last year, and then one to USC last week. So I, I don't trust this team until they show otherwise, I trust Utah to put it together, though, because Whittingham seems like a guy who's not going to let his teams fall apart. I don't think I've ever seen a Whittingham team really, truly just 
handed away when the season doesn't start the way they want it to, or if they do what they usually do, which is kind of choke up in November a bit. But they still seem to put it together toward the end, and I and I think they're going to do that this week. It's a bounce back game for Utah. Good way to get the day started. Uh, Stanford, UCLA following that one up. UCLA has to be so happy that they're still ranked right now after uh, losing last week to Fresno State. This is a big game, um, and, I, and I mentioned it in our opening ad read. I have them in my three-team parlay. I think that minus four and a half um, is a gimme because UCLA is going to come out very pissed off, and this is a team stack full of playmakers, of NFL caliber defensive talent and a pretty darn good coach. And I think that they're going to put it together against a Stanford team that didn't look that bad last week, but they played Vanderbilt. The defense was lackluster. And guess what? Tanner Mackey is just, he's a couple of games away from finally getting to where I think I would be comfortable watching him every week at the helm for Stanford. So um, I think UCLA is going to get the bounce back here. They need, they need to get the bounce back here. Um, And I, Again, and I don't think it's going to be that close. I know it's up in Stanford. I don't think that that dynamic matters too much with Stanford back at Stanford Stadium for this. Um, that's how I feel about this. Stanford needs the victory, obviously, to get back into the North conversation because Washington could basically be out of it with Utah. So, it could I mean, look, it could be a two-horse race. Stanford really hasn't shown us anything that, I, I don't know, nobody looks competitive compared to Oregon right now in the North. But Stanford could be that number two team. I don't know. Washington could be that number two team. Utah, like we are now in conference play. So all of that, though, that fluff is going to is gonna become some tangible, it takes shape tangibly for us. Um, and, and this is a game between two teams that both need it. Um, I, again, I really think UCLA is probably going to win. I give them a 10-point favorite on this in my head. Oh, man. See, I, I think I like Stanford. I, I Interesting. think – I don't like the number. I, I think plus four and a half is a tricky one. If if you're Stanford, if that number was maybe plus five, plus five and a half, I'd be a lot more comfortable with it because I could see it being, you know, a, a 28-24 type of game or a 30-24 to 24 type of game. So like anywhere in that four to seven range is just kind of a little tricky. I'm still taking the four and a half, four and a half though. And I'd be tempted to take Stanford on the money line as well, depending on what the book has it at. But I think that this Stanford team with Tanner McKee is good. Um, and this UCLA secondary is not. We saw it now. It's now been this case for two weeks. And LSU was easy to kind of hand wave it away because they didn't really have all that great of a passing attack. But Fresno State was punking them. And Jake Hayner, like I know we've given Jake Hayner and Fresno State plenty of of you know, applause for what they've done over the first few weeks of their season. But he wasn't doing anything aside from the final two drives that was pretty much just magic that was anything particularly impressive. I mean, even on that last drive, it the throw, the final throw to score was the money throw for sure. But the other ones to get them down into that position were coverage busts. Like th- those were not things that Fresno State did particularly well so much as it was UCLA players either through Jerry Azanero, the, their defensive coordinator, not putting them in places to succeed or them just not succeeding when they were in those one-on-one battles. And so I look at Stanford who is passing the ball significantly more. Austin Jones is not going to be in this game. They don't. They didn't specify what the reason was. David Shaw just said, it's a not football related reason. And everyone was like, okay, that doesn't sound great, but that's your top running back. 
you know, their running back room as a whole is pretty much decimated. Like Casey Filkins is hurt. He's, a uh, you know, down on the depth chart. I believe they're number three behind Nathaniel Pete. He's also the punt returner. He's not going to be there. So you're going to be relying on Tanner McKee and this group of receivers to try and basically win this through the air. And if you're looking at the matchup battle, you can see a place for Tanner McKee to kind of eat a bit. And he's been a good quarterback for them. So I, I kind of like Stanford here a bit because it's going to come down to who is going to control that clock. And if Stanford has the ability to control possession in a way that Fresno did against UCLA, then I think they have a legitimate shot. I also think that UCLA here, you know, yeah, they'll come out pissed, but this is also one of those stupid, quirky Pac-12 games where if Stanford didn't choke up in that first week against UCLA, I think we look at Stanford differently in the context of this matchup. We saw UCLA, and this is what non-conference games against Power Fives do. Like, we, UCLA has beaten LSU. So in everybody's mind, well, of course UCLA would beat Stanford. Stanford got killed by Kansas State. When the reality is Stanford and UCLA are probably on similar lines in terms of talent and ability, but because of what they've done in the non-conference, we're painting those two teams and their trajectories slightly different. So I like Stanford. I, I I like the points theoretically. I don't think I would put at tangible money on it, but if I have to pick, I think I would take them. Um, and I, I think I would take them on the money line too, just because I, I like this Stanford team with Tanner McKee leading it. And it, they have the feeling of a team that's, that does the David Shaw, you know, where you, you trip one game up in the non-con and everyone pronounces you dead on arrival. And then you go win eight, nine games. And he's done this a couple of times, shoot McCaffrey's year where they probably should have made the playoff. They lost 16, six to Northwestern in Evanston in week one. And then they just rolled through the rest of their schedule and that killed them. So I can see this Kansas state being a killer type of game for them where their perception falters and then they get into the conference and then they start playing well. I like them against UCLA. All right, we'll see. This is a a, a big point, but I, th- I have a feeling we could probably agree the rest of the way, mm-hmm. um, unless you feel like a homer in the, our last matchup that we're going to talk about here on the pod. Um, I, spoiler alert, I do. <laughs> you do feel, oh man. We'll get we there. We'll the, tease that we and get there. jump the gun just yet. Yeah, we're we'll going to end on a bang, that's for sure. Look at that yeah. foreshadow by Andrew Hobner. Um, that's how you keep UCLA, people engaged. <laughs> keep them, keep them here for the middle part. When we talk about like Washington, Cal and Oregon, Arizona, um, mm. Stanford versus UCLA. You two can get to that game for 19 bucks. Not the cheapest game on the slate. It's actually not even the second cheapest game on the slate. We'll get to that uh, in a moment. Washington Cal at six 30, the final PAC 12 conference game on the PAC 12 network. Um, the next three games are all on ESPN or Fox Sports platforms. I mean, pick your poison, man, with this one. This is, I mean, Washington's got to win, right? Like, they look like a completely different team. I know it's Arkansas State. They look like, we talked about this on Tuesday. You made a great point about sort of the rejuvenation on offense and uh, it getting settled in a little bit. And, and it feels like Washington is probably, I mean, it just, they're going to win this game. So Washington is going to win this game. How much, I don't know. I don't know how much I trust what I saw last week as it parallels to what we saw in the opening week against Montana. Um, 
I think that this will be a good sample size for us to, to know what we're getting out of Washington for the rest of the season. Um, they obviously on paper there, they should blow out. They should blow out Cal, especially with what we've seen Cal do to this point in the season. But again, I don't know if I'm there yet, especially with the, this offense against a team that actually knows how to play defense. Cal, Cal, like Arkansas state's defense is four tiers lower than Cal's defense. Has Cal's defense been underwhelming? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to make the adjustments that Justin Wilcox knows how to make as they progress into conference play where they typically have one or two pretty solid games against opponents they have no business being in, in games against. So um, I can make a case for Cal here. I don't think the offense will be able to put up enough points. If Washington's offense is rolling, I'm going to give Washington the benefit of the doubt here. Don't make me look dumb and feel stupid, Washington. I'm staying away from the minus seven and a half. Screw that. Screw the points. Cal's going to do something crazy at the end of the game, whether it's a pick six or a fumble six or something, and it's going to completely ruin the line. It's not worth it for this game, but I will take Washington as the victors. I think if you want to buy the half point, then it is a much better number at just seven flat because I could see it being a seven-point game, and at that point, it's a push for you anyway. But I don't know. I you know I talked to somebody from Cal this week, and the discussion was a lot of for both them and Washington. Like this is going to be one of those games where you'll look back at the end of the year and you'll be like, yep, that was the game where we figured out what they are going forward. And I think you don't even need the benefit of hindsight this year to, to know that I think this year with Cal and Washington, this is probably one of two or three games for both where it's like, we're going to find out all we need to know about who they are in this matchup. Washington, that Arkansas State team is a bad team. Like they, they are an abjectly, objectively bad team. Are they better than Montana? Probably. But if you look at the difference in offense that they rolled out against Arkansas State that they than they did against Montana, it's a night and day difference. I mean, it's spread concepts, it's throwing deep, it's a little bit of tempo. That is a stark contrast to what they did in that Montana game and what they did in the first half against Michigan before they got down so bad, they decided to start taking the top off. And what do you know? Dylan Morris throws a couple of long touchdown passes in garbage time there against, against Michigan. So the Achilles heel for Cal defensively is very much like UCLA's it's in their secondary. I mean, you give up almost 400 yards passing or over 400 yards passing to Sacramento state, which is not a good FCS team. That's not something you should be doing. I don't, care that Troy Taylor was on this offensive staff once upon a time and he might know Wilcox like I don't buy that I think this defense it's rare to see a Wilcox defense look like this but I I just I don't think they have the linebackers to do it yet I think those guys are still young I think their leaders aren't there Kwani Deng their outside linebacker going to be out for this game which is a huge huge loss anchor of that defense you could argue their pass rushers don't seem all that elite and Washington's got skill guys you know a lot of transferred but you still got Jalen McMillan and Kamari Pleasant and Sean McGrew you know the latter two being in the backfield McMillan who had 175 receiving last week I think this is going to certainly be closer it's not going to be a blowout by any means but Washington by 10 I could see that the thing with Cal though is that Cal's offense this year is good and Washington showed up well defensively against Arkansas state. 
And it's amazing what, you know, a good offense can do for a defense when you get them off the field and you give them the ability to actually get some rest and not feel like they are the ones that have to hold it down for you for the entire game and give you a shot to score, you know, once or make the defense feel like they have to hold that offense they're playing to seven for you to be able to have a shot to win, right? So defensively, if they come out and play with an offense behind them, they're going to be fresher. They're, the legs are going to be better going into late game situations. They're probably going to get to the quarterback better. They'll be able to handle the one-on-ones a little bit better. But Chase Garbers, as helter-skelter as he's looked at points this season, I think he's going to be fine. And I think this Cal offense is really starting to wake up. The thing that I kind of like about this particular game that I do think has some kind of interesting juice to it is when you go look at the over under here. So if I go and find the over under, I'm looking at what was it? 46 and a half. Yep. I like 46 and a half. Again, if you can buy, if you can buy down that point to 46, and hit the I mean, over. Yeah, that's, I could see like 25 to like 21 or something crazy. I think it's going to be more. I mean, look, these defenses are not very good. You know, so I could I could see a Washington, you know, 38 to 40? 20. Yeah, yeah I, I, I could see Washington eclipsing 30. I think the big question would be, can Cal on a rested Washington defense eclipse 24? But I think both of these offenses have the potential to do it. I think Washington's based on talent and Cal's based on sample. So I'm going to go, if I go anywhere with this, I think I'll go the over. um, And I like Washington in this. I think that performance this past week, and if, you know, the rumors of changing play callers or John Donovan being up in the booth are are true or have any merit to them at all, then maybe this is going to be a turning point. And maybe last week was a turning point for this Washington team. And this Cal defense, I think everyone is really going to be surprised when they get into pack play about how bad this Cal defense is going to look because they did not look good against TCU and they really didn't look good against Sacramento state. And if you can't look good against a middling FCS teams, passing attack, you have some problems that are going to really haunt you when you go up against pack 12 caliber opposition. Ugh, coach Wilcock. I'm so sorry that we have to berate your branded defense as such, but maybe don't give up so many, so many yards. He bur- I, I feel like it. he berated it too. <laughs> He probably is. He would embrace it. It's just I don't think in my in my history of ever like actually covering the conference have have I ever said in a sentence like bad Justin Wilcox defense in a consistent tone. But here we are. Uh, Things things Mm -hmm. it's crazy how things happen. Uh, Okay, so we're both in agreement. Washington over Cal probably is going to be a. I mean, Cal could do it like you said, but they probably won't. Take 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 the over in that one, according to Hob. I I'm gonna stay away from the over under, but take his advice. He's probably he's probably right on this one. Uh, before <laughs> we get to the last three games on the national slate of uh, television, we have exciting news. Our pod is partnering with PlayActionPools.com this season to bring some interactive fun to the sport we love most. You'll be able to get in on the action with our PlayActionPools.com Football Pick'em Challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works. Sign up for our contest, Believe Football Pick'em, at PlayActionPools.com, and then get your picks in each week. We're going to select the 10 highest profile games of the week between NFL and college football. Whoever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Again, go to playactionpools.com and sign up for the contest. Believe, B-L-E-A-V, 
football pick them. And if you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to playactionpools.com today. They've got Survivor, pick them, as well as cool sportsbook style concepts called Build Your Bankroll. Playactionpools.com, your home for all of your office sports pools. All right. The games that everybody should be focusing on in their sports pools. The final three games on the Pac-12 slate. ESPN Fox Sports 1, ESPN U. Number three, Oregon hosting Arizona. USC hosting Arizona State. Oregon, uh, sorry. And Arizona State hosting Colorado. Um, we'll start with Oregon at 7.30 on ESPN. There, we, this probably doesn't have to be a whole, whole much of a conversation. I mean, they're losing. They're losing. Wow, they are playing a team that lost to NAU last week, up thirteen nothing. A team that has no offensive identity, that has no defensive standouts. Um, I expect to see a, a pretty similar game out of Oregon in terms of game plan that we saw last week. A- am I wrong for thinking that here? Because again, this is a team that knows that it's their their Pac-12 title to lose. Why show the playbook? Why show the cards when you're playing against a team? Talently is probably a tier or two below you. Is you're 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 firsthand around this team. You understand the the perspective and the mindsets of these coaches going in. Is there a bit of that you know Stony Brook approach? Or are they looking at this as okay? Arizona has beaten us with a bad team before. Uh, two years ago, that was coming after the Washington State loss, or three years ago at this point. Um, we lose bad pack 12 games all of the time so this we're going to take seriously we're going to play the paybook hopefully anthony brown is healthy um and oregon is going to try and blow him out is how is your feel for this approach i mean i i think this arizona team is like way worse than any prior arizona worse than stony brook Oh, no, sorry. not worse. I thought you were going to say prior Oregon, Oregon. Competition. Well, I mean, dude, it's like kind of close. They lost to Northern Arizona, who's like not a good FCS team. So this Arizona team is really bad. They don't have a start. They don't have a starting quarterback. Like, and it's not out of any sense of gamesmanship. Like, they literally don't have a guy right now. So I think this isn't going to be a situation though of Oregon playing soft and playing slow. I think this is one of those weeks that as a team you want to make a statement and it wouldn't shock me if they came out with the intention of making a statement. So I like because Oregon. We like the aesthetic here on believe in the PAC 12, right? Andrew Hobner. We love look, that aesthetic look, that style, style points matter. He did yep. say Anthony Brown is good to go, but you know what? At the same time, like it wouldn't shock me if you saw Ty Thompson get, not first team reps, but like if you saw Ty Thompson get a healthy amount of reps in this game, I think this is one of those things where you are looking at intention early. And, you know, the thing that would keep me off this line is the notion that they would score really quick in the first quarter and then they would just kind of dip on out and ride it the rest of the way. Um, Look, this Arizona team can't do anything right now. I mean, there's a talent deficiency, but also Jed Fish hasn't shown a lot of confidence or hasn't instilled a lot of confidence from the coaching side of things either. So it doesn't really do much to them, to to Oregon, I mean, to assume that, you know, this is going to be a trap game um, by any means. It's not. So I, I, th- I don't, I, like, I hate to reduce this, but there's not much to talk about in this. Oregon's going to kill him, and that's just going to be points, Fred, you take it? 
I'm staying away from it just because, yeah. again, they could go up 21 early and we know how they cruise or they come out and they absolutely pace them. Um, so it could be it could be one of two. I'd be more inclined to take the points than not just because I think Oregon, even their twos are better than Arizona's ones. And I think that's the difference is they would they'd still be able to run it up with their twos. But how much they want to do that is anybody's guess. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be, I mean, by the way, I forgot to mention the the price for the, I don't know why I'm on this price train right now. I think it's fascinating. Uh, the price for this Washington cow game, $7, $7 to go see the Huskies this weekend. Uh, the Oregon game is $43 to watch wow. them blow out Arizona. I know it's, um, that's what I was saying before is it's just shocking like Oregon, Arizona, and Utah, Washington State are the two most expensive games in the conference this weekend. And they're two of what should be on paper the biggest blowout. I mean, in my mind, should be the biggest blowouts. Um, interesting how they how they evaluate this market size and fan base, the two best fan bases, Oregon and Utah. We can go into that another time. But USC, who needs to get a better fan base, hosting Oregon State, an Oregon State team, figuring it out offensively a little bit you said on tuesday if chance nolan started against purdue this team would have won this team would have won their weekend opener or the week uh season opener excuse me they would be three and oh right now uh and this is a team it's going to be interesting to see what usc shows offensively we know what usc could do defensively i think it's going to be hard for oregon state to be productive offensively comparatively to the opening three games that they've played it's a definitely possible and jonathan smith is incredibly creative. So I have no doubt that this team can move the ball and find a way into the end zone. Is it going to be enough based on what USC shows us offensively? I don't know. I don't know because it seems like they're still like, I don't know. It seems like they're just not going to tell us what the situation is at quarterback. And I know, and I know we're hearing things. I know we're hearing things. I see the half smile on your face, but I don't believe any of them. Hobner. I don't believe any of them. And, And as much as I am a glasses half full guy, like, I'm so skeptical right now. I I want Oregon State. I want Oregon State to win this game. I want them to. Because I think it's really important for people to understand how important it is for us to, to dismiss USC as, as an association for positivity in this conference for right now. And just the faster we can accelerate that product, the uh, excuse me, that perspective, the better. Because then we can finally move over to the next step, which is rebuilding USC. So, um I don't know. I think SC's probably going to win. It probably won't matter if Slovis or, or if Dart ends up getting more reps or if, I don't know, Miller Moss comes in. USC's probably just more dominant because they have just guys on their team across the board. Um, but I want Oregon State. I want this for Jonathan Smith. It would, And again, I think for Chance Nolan and then this offense, it, it just continues the continu- continuity uh, that they've been continuing to build in the last few weeks. All right. So I'm going to lay out the case for why Oregon State can win this game. Yes. So, first of all, I think they're a better coach team. I just plain and simple. I think Jonathan Smith is a better coach. His staff is better than what USC currently has right now. I think USC has solved a lot of their accountability issues with Dante Williams coming in, especially given a lot of the stories that have come out about how his style is uh, markedly different than Clay Helton's in terms of how he runs a ship, so to speak. But I don't know if that translates well enough after two weeks, right? I mean, this is still fresh. And if we do the new coach game theory, the other corresponding theory to that, that we don't talk about enough is the new coach letdown game theory, which is more often than not, you see under a new coach, 
they win the first, they lose the second because the shine and the novelty has worn off. And what you realize is that your team still has a lot of structural issues that they need to work through. And there's a reason the previous coach got fired, right? Like exactly. Like there's look USC still doesn't have an offensive line. Like we, we can paper over that because Washington state is really bad with a really bad football coach right now, but that team still doesn't have an offensive line. They still don't have a running game. And if there's one place Oregon State has very quietly gotten better over the last few years, it's in their secondary. Like, they've recruited and they play really well back there. Blue Adams is a good DB coach. You know, this is a guy that took Nashawn Wright out of Laney and developed him into uh, an NFL draft pick who's now with the Cowboys. He took Isaiah Dunn and made him into a guy that could be a specialist in the NFL took the largest undrafted free agency contract in NFL history with the New York Jets. And th- these are guys that had some you know, juice to them in recruiting, but these weren't people that were expected to be in the NFL. He's, took, he's taken Rajon Wright and Alton Julian and turned them into consistent starters. Jaden Grant is still anchoring that defense. You also have Elijah Jones, the Kansas cornerback transfer, who everyone thought was going to be that backside corner starter back this week. And he's backed up by Alex Austin, who's shown plenty in some limited time this year already, too. Now, look, not those guys are not stopping Drake London, like, at all. But if it's Jackson Dart, and we still don't know, if it's Jackson Dart, guess what? You blanket Drake London, and you double him, and you have enough confidence in your DBs that you feel like you can put them in one-on-one situations where they can be able to handle it. Not only that, their linebacker core is really good. Omar Spates is a good linebacker in pass coverage. Avery Roberts has done a lot to get better with his lateral quickness over the last couple of years to be more proficient in that area. Their defensive line, here's the problem. Their defensive line is the hole, but you can't run the ball. So you've already taken away your biggest matchup positive because as a you, if you're USC you can't run you haven't shown any proficiency to do so so the one place you do have an advantage aside from Drake London against literally whoever you line up against him you don't have that advantage anymore because you guys don't have the plus in the running game so that's one side of the ball and I'm not under any delusions that this Oregon State defense is going to hold USC at bay they're not this is going to be a track meet like a major, major track meet down at the Coliseum because both these offenses are really good. Even if it's Slovis, even if it's, you know, Dart or Moss or whoever's in there, if Moss is in there, it's a different story because I don't know if he's particularly ready yet. But if it's Slovis or Dart, like, yeah, this thing is going to get into the high scoring numbers. The other thing to consider, though, is Oregon State is second and is leading tied for first in the Pac-12 Uh, in interceptions five so far this season with Arizona state tied for second in the conference and sacks with seven. So their defense and pass rush and pass defense has been pretty good up to this point. You know, the, the Purdue score is a little deceiving considering it was a fourth and short with about a minute and a half left that Purdue got them on a play action, you know, rollout that ended up going 60 to the house. That game was likely going to end 23, 21 and Purdue through three and a half quarters played Notre Dame pretty tight and Notre Dame looks pretty good this year. So I, you know, I hate using the kind of, you know, if then, but 
there is some merit to the fact that this Oregon State team is a good competitive football team. Offensively, they are humming under Chance Nolan. And we talk a lot about Nolan and his ability to kind of spray the ball around and be very comfortable in this offense, but we don't talk enough about their running game right now because it's not just B.J. Baylor. It's Deshaun Fenwick. It's Trey Lowe. They have a three-headed committee back there, and they put their guys. One thing I love about Jonathan Smith as an offensive mind, he puts his guys in such a position to succeed. Like the way they scheme up plays, the way they drum, call them, the what they do in the red zone, they are a very schematically sound football team. And defensively, I don't know if USC is quite there yet. So I don't think this is going to be like Stanford where Stanford goes out and hits them in the mouth. But I do think that this will be a game that's going to come down close. And I think Oregon State has it in them to win. Now, the only thing that would give me pause on that is that Oregon State under Jonathan Smith for the last two years has been extremely close in all of these. And he hasn't done it yet against a so team that I it's time. exactly, exactly. Like he's done it against Cal. Like they've won close ones against Cal. They've won close one against Arizona state, but I don't really find Arizona state to be a tier higher because even with Herm, they're like eight wins. Like they're not, they're not a top third of the PAC 12 team. They did it against Oregon last year. And I think that was probably the high watermark, but even that Oregon team wasn't a good, that's not this year's Oregon team or the year priors. That was not a good Oregon team relative to who they normally are or have been under Mario Cristobal. So in the 19 season, they had a like one touchdown game against Washington that they lost. They had a couple of close matchups here and there that they dropped, you know, Purdue being one of them this year. I want to see them pull out a game against a team. People find markedly better than them and, people would consider it an upset. I love the uh, the plus 11, even if it is a plus 11. I, I just, I like this Oregon State team a lot. And this is a very optimist take. And I'll, uh, you know, I'll come on next week if they get smacked and say, you know what, egg on my face. I'm more than comfortable to admit when I'm wrong. And, but I, I just, I think the pieces are in place. I think the matchups are good. And I think that this is one of those places where Jonathan Smith as a head coach beats Dante Williams as a head coach. I think they are a better team this year, especially with Chance Nolan, than they are being given credit for. And I, I don't know, man, three games in, I looked at Oregon State under Nolan through you know two games in one half. And I was like, they're a seven, eight win team in this conference. And if you want to talk about trajectory games, this is one. And I think the staff knows it. And I think the players know it. You win this game, you're going in a certain direction that you would not be going in if you lost it. And so this is probably the biggest game on their schedule up to this point. Probably the biggest one they're going to have until they play Oregon. So they they know what the significance of this is. I think they're going to be ready. And I like Chance Nolan, dude. He's got a little shades of Manziel as a player. So I really think that he can be the type of dude to do something that this Oregon State team hasn't done since 1960. They haven't beaten SC down at the Coliseum in 61 years. Yep. So they are the type of team that has the ability to do this now. And if Nolan does this, man, then we got to start talking about, about him too. Because if, you know, I, I keep qualifying it with an if because it is a big if but if Oregon State wins this game there's an argument to be made that they're the second best team in the Pac-12 
I was going to say Oregon State could really make a case for themselves as a competitor in the conference and, and can make things scary for Oregon because all of a sudden the last day of the season is Oregon State, a team that could be the threat to the Pac-12 championship mm-hmm. uh, for the Ducks. So I'm with you there. I, I I don't know. I don't have anything to disagree on. Um, 21 bucks to go to the game, not too expensive. If you're looking for a, a potential historic victory for Oregon State in this one. 61 years, you said, right? 1960 was the last time Oregon Nin- State oh, won 19- the LA Coliseum. Yeah, 61 years. Yep, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yep. Um, 7:30 on Fox Sports One for that one. Arizona State, Colorado. Okay, so we've been waiting for this one because we had some foreshadowing earlier on in the pod. Um, since then, I've been I've been mulling it over mentally. I've been mulling it over mentally, and I'm like, well, where's the case for Colorado? Where's the case for Colorado? Arizona State will lose if Arizona State beats themselves. That's how I feel this game will go in Colorado's favor. And it feels like Arizona State does this. Arizona State plays down to opponents. They play up to opponents. They hold up until Oregon beat Ohio State this year. Arizona State held like the most marquee regular conference Pac-12 win in quite some time when they beat Michigan State a couple years ago. Like that was like that. They held that claim. Um, and then they go and they lose bad conference games, or then they'll beat Oregon. It's it's weird in Tempe. Or excuse me, wow, in Tempe in Phoenix. Um, or I guess it is Tempe. Wow, I was thinking yeah, it is. It's, it's weird. It, in Tempe. I, it, it's it's all the same area. <laughs> it's all the same. Scottsdale is there. Costa Mesa is there. Anyways, um, you know, do I think Jaden Daniels is the most talented quarterback in the conference? I think that he is the most talented, not the best, the most talented quarterback in the conference. Does he have wide receivers? who have bricks for hands, they can't literally just don't know how within a catching radius to hold on to the football. Absolutely. Oregon dodged the bullet with Johnny Wilson, folks. Like, Johnny Wilson looks bad. This is a five-star wide receiver who decommitted from Oregon when, uh, when Arroyo went to, uh, to UNLV, switched to Arizona State. This is one of the best receivers in the country. Everybody was freaking out about it. He was really bad last year. He's even worse this year. So if Arizona State could learn how to catch footballs that are actually thrown pretty well, I think that they would look a little bit more menacing in this matchup. And again, this is where I say, well, that's where they beat themselves because they give themselves the opportunity. Slow, slow, slow as well. Daniel sets his team up for success. He sets his, his, um, his playmakers up in a way that either gets them out in space or opens up the field in, in a short pass situation or a screen pass situation. Unfortunately, they don't know what to do when they have the football and that offensive um, ignorance, it feels like, seems to be a big Achilles heel for this team, as well as the defense. But Arizona State never has great defenses. So I don't expect them to go out and be ball stoppers. I don't expect them to go out and get five sacks in a game. I expect them to do just enough to compete to get their offense back out there to score as many points as they can to win. And they have not done that because their offense has been incompetent, and that is their own fault. That's not the, phone, the fault of the teams that they've been playing, but the fault of themselves, the coaching staff, um, and, and just the aura surrounding the team. So... Uh, with that being said, I am incredibly discouraged. I mean, we talked about Colorado's offense on Tuesday and, and Coach Shiv and how he's on the chopping blocks and just, I mean, how much that sucks is he's a great guy and, you know, his story and the entire story of that program. The, I don't, I have not seen anything that for me to believe that. I know that Arizona State's defense is bad. So is Minnesota's defense, though. Go look at the, what they've been giving up and Colorado put up a goose egg against them. If they're not going to be able to move the ball productively, Arizona State doesn't have to be able to 
to, to be consistent offensively. They just have to do enough, and I think they can do enough to win this game. That's how I feel. That is the ambiguity about how I feel. I'll let you take the nuances here. Give us the case for Colorado and why you also feel they could win this game. Uh, I, I don't. <laughs> um, you don't. But you, so you, no. told, you said you were feeling like a homer, no? Oh, no. I mean, like, I can feel like a homer all I want, you know, by – I mean, well, no. Oh, dude. No, I was talking about Oregon State when I said homer. I was oh. – yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was not talking about Colorado at all. This entire no, time, no. I thought you had Colorado over Arizona State. No. Oh, God, no. Dude, Arizona State had oh, about 130 less. yards in penalties against BYU, and that was yeah. double Colorado's total offensive output against Minnesota. I have no faith in Colorado right now because, okay, because of two things. One, we haven't seen a change offensively yet. Haven't heard anything about Darren Cheverini. Haven't had Carl Durrell come out and say that they're going to do anything differently. They said they were going to come out more aggressive against Minnesota after the A&M loss, and look what they did. So I, they are very much in the I believe it when I see it. And Arizona State, for all of their mistakes, man, offensively they can do it. And Colorado's not a team that's going to hit them in the face the way BYU's is going to. You know, ASU's team, I, I do think, has a little softness in them. I don't think Colorado's the type of team that's going to put the fear of God in them very much. And it's also a situation where ASU can run the ball really well if they need to. They can control clock. If they want to be the ones to throw all over the place, they can. Their receivers aren't very good, as you mentioned. But that's, I think, less of an issue with the scheme and more with the personnel. I think schematically... ASU puts their guys in positions to win. It's just an issue of do they do it and do they not hurt themselves with idiotic penalties? What's going to keep them in this though is the fact that you know Colorado's offense until we see something out of them isn't going to stress this defense very much. And it'll allow the offense to be on the field plenty. And that's what happened in the Minnesota game. When your offense doesn't allow your defense to rest, eventually you're just going to get tired. You know, the third, fourth quarter, eventually you're going to get tired by being out there over and over and over and over again. So that, until I see different, that's what it's going to be. You know, I think the line is probably accurate at 14 or so, 14 and a half, I think I saw it. Yep. I mean, I'd probably take it. I don't think, like, what have we seen that's going to convince us Colorado is going to put points up against no, a power five defense? 21 nothing. That's all, yeah, that's like all they this, have to do. That's all they have to do. And they can score 21 points against this defense, especially when yep. this defense gets exhausted, as they eventually will. You know, this is, you know, like Washington State, I think this is going to be the start of a very, very bad season for Colorado if they don't make drastic changes soon. And unless they come out like Washington did last week against Arkansas State, where they unveil a completely different offense, then they're not going to be able to change much. Because Brendan Lewis is who he is. Drew Carter, his backup, is who he is. They are two three-star freshmen for all intents and purposes. Thanks, ESPN. That was fun. <laughs> they are, they're three-star quarterbacks for all intents and purposes, right? And so that is indicative of the, of the fact that they're projects. Four-star guys rarely get out 
and light the world on fire immediately when they go out and play. You know, we want to talk about barely has gone out there and lit the world on fire. And this guy was the best quarterback in the nation. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's hard to come out and be a really great quarterback your freshman year. And when you're a three-star they're putting that three-star tag on your name with the intent that it's going to take you a little while for you to reach your potential. If you ever do. And I interrupt you right there because that's a great point really quickly because what people don't realize is that a lot of time three stars are cautionary pieces in high school sports because like there are three stars in rural places who are playing no talent, right? Like they look Mm -hmm. the best comparatively, but when they go to the next level, well, now you're playing guys who are the best in their respective spots in high school every single day. You are going against guys who played against college caliber high school teams in leagues that are in, you know, Texas and Southern California and Georgia. So, so like when, you know, when you're a three-star from, from Kearney, Nebraska, that's great, but you're probably not going to be great leading. It's going to, the learning curve is so giant that people don't realize that a three-star could could also be a no star in a place with chalk full of talent. And that is a huge discrepancy in the recruiting perception um, that when these guys like Arizona, for example, right? Arizona does not take marquee quarterbacks. Arizona takes quarterbacks from places that don't really compete because these guys look good. And more often than not, they don't really pan out. So I, th- I just mm-hmm. want, I want to, to sort of nail that point home that you just made because it's really important for people to understand that just because somebody's a three-star doesn't mean that they're actually a three-star in, in in terms of when they step onto that football field at the next level. No, exactly. And so in the case of Colorado, that is what you're trying to hang your hat on and try and be led by. I don't care what your offense is. That's not going to do it right now. It's just not going to cut it. It's not going to put you in a position to win. And the only thing that I think could change that is if you decide that you want to turn him into an option quarterback, but you're also trying to coach for the future right now. So you don't want to run the risk of getting him hurt long-term by having him run so much in his first full year at the helm. Would you be upset at a wing (laughs) T? I think, honestly, I think they should basically, I've said it for a bit, but if Colorado was smart with the talent deficiency they have, you don't go full triple, but like you hire Jamie Chadwell or like Brennan Marion or one of these guys that runs these kind of like go-go niche offenses that like is basically a triple concept, but out of the spread. Cause that way you're not committing fully to the triple. And if you lose guys or lose coaches, then you don't have to basically overhaul the entire system, which is what happens when you are, a, a triple scheme, right? Like when, when a college moves to a triple, it's not just moving your offense. It's moving your recruiting strategy, the way you recruit, how people see your program that takes a long time to fix as you know, Georgia tech is seeing right now. And I don't think Colorado's the type of team where they can do that. Like they're good enough that they can compete with a normal offense if they wanted to. But I think Chadwell is kind of a nice marriage of both. The problem is, Again, there's no depth at that quarterback position right now because Shrout got hurt. So you can't run the risk of running Lewis out there and getting him hurt because then you're talking about a three-star kid from Tigard who's a football basketball prospect, you know, and Tad Boyle's not going to want his one of his recruits getting injured before the basketball season starts because he was trying to save a bad football team as their quarterback. So they're going to try and turn Brendan Lewis into a pocket passer and it's not going to work. Arizona State... I think he's going to win by a lot. 
because as bad as they've been in certain spaces, they're not as bad as this Colorado team, I don't think, not by a long shot. So this game is on ESPN. Okay, let's 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 end with this, Hob. Um, Stanford-UCLA, that should be a nationally televised game comparatively, right, to Oregon-Arizona or to Colorado-Arizona State. Would you rather have UCLA-Stanford being the representation for the conference nationally? Over oh, those absolutely. other options, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. I don't even think it's close. Um, even wa- even Washington Cal, even Washington yeah. Cal feels like a better. This is so dumb. This is so dumb how they scheduled these games. Well, three I think competing games at the same time nationally, and two of those three games are bad football games. Well, not good they, for the conference. ESPN gets first right of refusal, so you know that's more on the national networks than anything. And if you're George Klyavkov, I think you just remember this. You know, you remember this when the right negotiations come up and say, you know, if, if, if you guys are going to do this, you know, we are, we have to be in one twelve, you know, Pacific time. We have to be in one twelve thirty window and we have to be in one four thirty window. And that, that's non-negotiable. Like you can't allow all of your, all of your teams or the majority of them to be in the after dark slots. You just can't like I get it. It's like a branding thing, but like, yep. you know but what? People, I mean, you're talking about three teams from one conference at the end of the day, where people are burnt out and don't care. Well, not it not only that, but look, we can complain about the 9 a.m. kick times all we want, and like how different that is when you go to the East Coast. But Oregon Ohio State was one of the highest ranked games of the weekend, as was Texas A and M Colorado. Four million people watched that Colorado. And A&M by the game. way, last year when Stanford and Ole Miss played for the first nine AM game in Pac twelve history, that was one of the highest ratings of the year too for Pac twelve football. The nine AM works. The nine AM actually seems to work better than the after dark slot. The only the only thing I don't like about the nine AM is if it's a home game on the West Coast. I think if you do if you do 9 a.m.s on the East Coast or in the Midwest, I think that's honestly fine because you're up anyway. It's 12 yeah. noon there, and I don't buy the jet lag argument. Like I travel a lot, man. I don't feel jet lag in the three hour windows. You go to you know you go to Australia, you know you go to Europe. Yeah, you feel it, but like you're not feeling the jet when you've been there since Thursday. You're not feeling the jet lag on Saturday, man. You're just not. You've gotten used to it. You go to bed at ten and you wake up at you know six in the morning to get ready to go play a game at noon, like you would normally on the West Coast. That's also, the argument. Guys wake up at five o'clock every single day, anyway. Yeah, so it's like, not it's, like yeah, no, it's an overblown argument. And the fact, yeah. and the, well, and the fact that some coaches use the argument too is a cop out. You know what? Go play, go win your games. Everybody else seems to do it. Why can't you? And the after dark slots, I think we talk. You know, when we look at that, I like. I do think there's a there's a correlation of focus in the after dark slots. You see so many more you know, breakdowns and so many more upsets that occur in those windows. And look, when you're sitting around all day and you're waiting for games to start, I absolutely think it's easier for your mind to wander when you're just hanging out doing nothing until 7.30 at night. So if you're the network, you need to remember this. You need to advocate to get your teams in some of these earlier windows and you need to schedule what those windows are a little bit better. It's going to get better in the coming weeks. Like Oregon and Stanford is a 1230 on ABC. So like, that's going to be a better matchup uh, in terms of time slot. But you know, there's no reason, frankly, there's no reason Oregon should be on the PAC 12 network in any respect, even if it's against, you know, a, a bad team, like, you know, that 
kind of thing I, I don't like. Um, I understand. The two teams on national TV. UCLA should not right now as a ranked team because, again, the conference showing two teams nationally that are ranked at least aesthetically makes them look a little bit more credible. That's well, and how I, get, I feel about it. Well, I get wanting to keep some good games on the network because you have to have a reason to get people there. You know, like you can't Unless just put you all... kill the network, sign a media deal, and just outsource it to the proper media partners. Larry no. David ruining football for all of us. No, that's not. No, you got to keep the conference network. You can't get rid of it. You can't I'm not saying I... get rid of it. Sorry, that was extreme. Just give it to ESPN. <laughs> let them do what they did with the ACC network. I wouldn't no, want. I wouldn't want them to do that like either. It. No, because all right. Why so, not? Just, okay. So to to that point, right? Like. I think for someone like ESPN, like they, they are already, they have too much already. Like, I, I don't like giving ESPN the notion of giving them the pack 12 when they frankly haven't shown the pack. Like I just want to say ESPN was a placeholder for any network in the context. That, that that's fine. But I'm, but I'm saying yeah. like, if, if you're George Klyavkov, like I think, I think piecemealing your network again is probably the right move, but there's also distribution things that are going to occur that are going to change up right like this th like he will get them on direct tv in the next round like he will get them where they need to be and they are also going to get them on the streaming apps like pac-12 now i think is the test run for what's going to be a bigger a la carte service that they are going to offer and frankly that's what you should have done at the jump if you were as forward thinking as you you know thought you were and larry scott and some of these other guys the way you would have gotten ahead of this in 2011 is you would have offered the network itself as a streaming service for people and say, okay, you want all of our overflow stuff and a couple of football games a year, six bucks a month. And you prime people for years and years and years, regardless of the sub numbers to get them into this now. So then when the networks start to move into that model, then you already have the, the base in place to be able to do it. And that's where they're playing catch up now and where I think they should go though, because you know what, if you want to be the type of place that fashions itself as this place for all sports, what you do is you say five, five a month. If you manage to get, I don't know, a hundred thousand, you know, streaming subscribers out of that in the first year that allows you to move into a pretty good realm. You're making 70 cents on the dollar for cable subs anyway. And you're only in like 25 million homes. So that's already not netting you the money that you need to be able to operate properly. So I think if you're, if anything, you explore the possibility because you own a hundred percent of your network, the notion of offering it as its own streaming product. And I think that is what would fix it. Um, but we're, I mean, that's like years down the road too. The problem, look, the biggest problem with this conference is they just don't win enough. You win in yeah. the non-conference. All of these games are suddenly super interesting everywhere. But because you lose to Utah State and Nevada and, and, and Montana and Northern Arizona, you're looking at all these games. You're going, why, why do I care about any of them? So ultimately, it also inherently win, depreciates yeah. the conference network's value. It does. It does. You know, win your, yeah. game, win your games, and this isn't a discussion. You know, that's, that's what it comes down to, really. You hear that, Pac-12? Win your gosh darn games. Win your games. How hard is it? You play football. Throw the ball around, catch it, hit each other. It's a... And just come out with a W. It's just, just do it. Come on, guys. All right, Hob, uh, you you got a busy weekend coming up. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at a underscore g underscore Hobner. Uh, you can find the work on kezi.com, and you can find me on Instagram at the Hobbit Six. The Hobbit is spelled H A U B B I T. <laughs> nice I see what you did there. But um, I'm Jonathan Rifkind. 
uh, at Jonathan Rifkin on Twitter, j.rifkin on Instagram, though my Instagram is not that interesting. So uh, if you want a bunch of nothing, feel free to give me a follow. Uh, for everybody here at Believe, special thanks to all of our wonderful listeners, no matter how you listened or where you listened. We all appreciate you making us part of your podcasting plans, our awesome partners, and our entire network, Jonathan Rifkin, Andrew Hobner, signing off. Have a great weekend. Enjoy Pac-12 football as the conference is in full swing. Six ga- uh, Yeah, six games, 12 teams all battling it out and we will be back next week to recap it and bring you week five of action until then enjoy another week of pac-12 football thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube